Every Sunday night for the past 15 years, a weekly drag celebration has been presented at Sydney's Stonewall Hotel on iconic Oxford Street. Polly's Follies is a Sydney institution having commenced life at the famous Albury Hotel some 28 years ago. Presiding over this has been the doyen of Sydney drag, Polly Petrie. A tough broad with humour as dry as the Sahara, the glamour of Zsa Zsa Gabor and the steely command of Joan Crawford. But Polly Petrie is also a drag mother to a host of novice drag queens taking their first steps into this colourful world of performance. Polly takes a maternal approach to the rookies, mentoring, guiding and passing on her infinite wisdom. Polly Petrie is the creation of Craig Petrie, a ballroom dancer who was initially discovered working behind a bar by choreographer Ross Coleman. He was thrust into the role of backup dancer to many celebrated drag queens of the past who led the shows at famed Capriccio's, a prominent venue on Oxford Street with extravagant shows of big casts and glamorous costumes. In a fascinating conversation, Polly gives us an insight into the early scene as a performer, one that continues to engage him in the persona of which he is famous around the world. He explains the origin of the Follies and the link with the musical The Boyfriend that gave him his drag name. It is a life rich with fabulous experiences and encounters. We recorded this conversation in his famous caravan, a place that accommodates his extensive wardrobe. What a treat to sit down with Miss Polly Petrie. Well, Paul, thanks for having me at your caravan. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> now, uh, so the caravan, is we all know it, it, your nickname for your lovely abode, because I guess as a drag performer, you've got to have a bit of space to store your costumes. Yes, well, my studio apartment, I did have, I went to, uh, I was going away over to Paris and I thought, I've got to have something done with my drag. So whilst I was away, I got these people to build my walk-in, 12-foot ceiling wardrobe with boxes for my wigs and shoes and I have a ladder in there so I can get to the rack on the roof and the rack halfway down. So that's why it's condensed down to a caravan instead of a studio apartment. <laughs> so, of course, it's not just frocks, but I guess it's the shoes, it's the shoes, wigs, yeah, the accessories. music, right. bowers, plus a small section for my boys clothes <laughs> <laughs> essential essential so do you hang on to all the frocks that you wear and and recycle them i guess or no no i i, I tend to give them away yeah you know um you sort of um some of them i've grown out of <laughs> <laughs> So I like giving away or... There's baby drags coming yeah, up, I just, guess, who yeah. appreciate it. And, you know, times change. You can't wear the same thing forever. Right. Are you good with the sewing machine? Do you make your own costume? No, Ron Gray was my um, dressmaker. He had all my patterns. He knew every size, every inch of me. And i just buy some fabric and he'd uh, whip up a surprise for me. Oh, brilliant. So uh, he was very clever and he used to... Um, he used to enjoy giving me a surprise, but I give him the surprise of buying the fabrics too, you know, wherever I go. So, see, so um, the challenge of what he can come up with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you wore a fantastic frock, I must say. Everybody would have seen on social media the rainbow-coloured gown that you wore in New York recently for World Pride. Yes, uh, Ron made that for me. I think, oh, it's, it's pretty old. It was when I was uh, hosting on one of the gay cruises. One of the gay cruises, the gay cruise out of Sydney. Right, yeah. And uh, 
that's how old it was. And uh, funny enough, he had he's lost one of the gauntlets, and the boat's about to pull out. Here he is getting someone to throw over the gauntlet to go with the outfit, but because it's light, it's easy to travel all the way to New York, um, and it's easy to wear. But it was very, very, very hot in New York because yes. I did take boas and things to wear. Right. And also, if you look at the photo, I have uh, wings. They blow up wings, and I have a little button at the front, and I push the button, and the wings go up. Right. All still very light and easy. Well, it must have been a good look because you were featured on in the Daily News there, weren't you? You made the press. Yeah. Was, um, we were in the marshalling area about 11 o'clock, and there was photographers going around everywhere. And I, I said, actually, said to Candy, I said, something's going on here. I said, I've had two people ask my name and where I'm from. I said, it might be possible I'll make it my photo somewhere. <laughs> just, just joking. Yes, yes, yes. Well, lo and behold, the next morning when I wake up, here's my face on the Daily News. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And on Yahoo. Everywhere. <laughs> so it was a buzz. So what was World Pride like? You went over to the, the world celebration of uh, of the International years. Festival and 50 years of Stonewall. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a prepared thing for me. I wasn't planning, but I was got talked to it. And I'm so grateful to everyone who made me go and helped me get there. Uh, especially City Mardi Gras and also Tim Savage. He was very, very good. And putting in the bid for the 2023 World Pride for Sydney yeah. was a, a great reception at the Australian Consulate. And they looked after us with drinks and food and <laughs> fun. You could have liked that. <laughs> and Alex British was there. It was, oh, okay. it was all good. Yeah. And everyone was, it was good, like a great welcoming to New York. The Australian Consulate was fabulous. Mm. And did you get down to the Stonewall Inn, of course, the, the site of the riots and oh, yes, yes. gay movement 50 years ago? When New York was very, very busy, I don't know how many millions extra tourists were there. Uh, but they are. Uh, I got down and my old mate Tree, he's at Stonewall Inn, he, uh, he was very, very busy because it's all about 50 years of Stonewall Rise. Everybody would have wanted to go in. So I, I got a, I, I um, caught up with him and I also gave him a Stonewall Hotel Sydney <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> it was too small for him. He gave him to um, a fabulous drag queen over there. And, um, so I caught up with Tree and but the um, the streets were packed. Christopher Street, you could hardly move. They had a memorial in the middle of the street. The bars like Duplex next door, you, the lineups went forever and ever, and, and everyone wanted to have their photo taken at the front of the Stonewall, Stonewall Inn. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was the craziness. But a very funny thing, Maz Image, photographer, she had an apartment, and she was in an apartment across the road from the Stonewall Inn, so she was getting capturing all these wonderful photos of the street scenes and everything. It was good. Oh, that's fantastic. And a place for us to have a quiet drink. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, it was, did you have to queue up a lot? I mean, you said there were lots of lines, but uh, that's frustrating. But I guess it's pretty entertaining also because you're in a queue with people from all around the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the li- the, some, of, uh, some of the lines were just too, too long. Too, too long. And they, were, they weren't moving. Because they're not big venues. And then, yeah, once you get in there, you probably, you couldn't move. You can't. Yeah. I, I, 
um, and staying all in, like upstairs and staying all in, you, you just couldn't move. And some bars, you lined up to get in, but once you're in there, you're in a line in the bar to go upstairs. Yeah, and you don't realise that when you're outside. And you're not having a drink or anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, and do you still get to see much of New York while you're there? Ah, oh, yeah, we did a cruise. We did a wonderful cruise oh, around the Statue and Liberty yeah. and all that carry on. That was wonderful. And that, we met a lot of um, other country, other people from other countries on the cruise, which was good. You know, people from Amsterdam and Copenhagen, and it was it was a good fun cruise. And plus sightseeing too. Yeah. And, and the weather was so beautiful. Beautiful heat. It was yeah. wonderful. And that was that was. Um, that was a lovely, relaxing day on the car on the Hudson. <laughs> uh, but in full slap and drag, though, I guess it's pretty uncomfortable in that that uh, New York summer. No, well, I uh, I only slapped up twice. Right. Okay. I slapped up for the Australian consulate and I slapped up for the parade. Right. But I do know that Maxie Shields and Candace Fox were in drag for about five days. Five days. My goodness. Whirling around and, but it was. Um, but they were having a lot of fun too, mm. and you know, me- meeting people. I met, I met a lot of fabulous drag queens. So I went to the Ritz bar, met the drag queens there. I went oh, every bar I went to, I met all the drag queens. And... So do uh, people, um, uh, people who aren't drag, are they intimidated by drag queens? I mean, obviously you're all sisters, and you can go up and sort of start a conversation. But um, are you approached by many other people who want to photograph with you or chat to you? Oh, when, you, oh, when I'm in drag, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh, oh, even in the parade, people were wanting photos with me. Even people on the sideline calling me over. Can we get a photo with you? Can we get a photo? And one lady said, one lady had a sign, give mum a hug. And I gave her, and gave, gave her a hug <laughs> in the parade. Fantastic. Well, let's hope uh, 2023 we see the same again in yes, Sydney. Yes, I hope it'd be a great celebration. Now, I know you shouldn't ask a lady her age, but uh, how many years have you been a performer? Well, my performance career started um, on stage, started when I was a ballet boy at South Sydney Juniors with Helen Zerifos. Oh, yes, yep. And then from there I got to work with Carol Burnett at this opera house. So she came out and did yeah, a, a performance? Yeah. Uh, 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 and uh, you were a backup yeah, dancer? Or, yeah, yeah? Uh, Carol Burnett and Harvey, Harvey Corman and the, all of them. And then I was working at Capriccio's Behind the Bar. Capriccio's burnt down. When they rebuilt Capriccio's, Ross Coleman, who was the choreographer, knew about me doing these dance shows, these other shows, and asked me to audition. So I was about, this would have been about 1973. This was auditioning for what? A show? Capriccio's. Capriccio's show, right? Yeah. Male dancer at Capriccio's. Yeah. So I got the job and started male dancing at Capriccio's. So was Capriccio's a, a drag club then? Capriccio's was the best drag club. We had a revolving stage. We had pyrotechnics. We had dressing rooms. We had a proscenium arch. We had flashback. We had everything going. So, who would produce and direct those shows? Was this? Uh, Ross we had people like Josh, uh, Jimmy Fishburne, who was with Paul Hogan, or that. Um, uh, 
David Penfold from oh, yeah. David Mitchell. Yeah. We had choreographers like Ronnie Arnold, Ross Coleman, Maggie. Uh, so we had choreographers and costumes were made by a costume design centre who did the costumes for like The Lion King and all that. So Anthony Thompson was our costume designer too. Wow. The cost of the shows in those days was thirty five thousand dollars. Wow. So who was the audience? That was it was a club that was open for punters to come next in door, and sit next at the door table? to Stonewall, upstairs. Okay. Yeah. And very if you didn't know it was there, you didn't know it was there. But right. I, you know, sometimes you might be out there and here's Rudolph and Rave sitting in the audience. Debbie Reynolds sitting in the audience. You know, Stuart Wagstaff sitting at the end of the bar having a drink every night. It's all like a... Because the, the gay scene was a bit quiet, see, everyone was going to Lay Girls. Lay Girls was the tourist attraction. Right. Capricios was the... Um, an in sort of club for... I suppose a lot of theatricals would go there after a show. Oh, yes. We, oh, we had all this cast from 96 and all them. Yeah. Everyone there all the time. Right. So who were the drag performers that you were dancing behind? Where uh, Rose Jackson, Karen Chant, uh, Red Leslie, Nikki Reynolds, Honey West. Uh, Corinne Day. Everyone has a speciality act too. And I went with um, uh, David Stanick was one of the dancers I worked with. And one of them was one of my ex-lovers that the management of, <laughs> took a fancy to and made me do a show with my one of my ex-lovers, oh, Philip no. Swanson. <laughs> <laughs> but that was all right. It's all cool. So when you talk about speciality acts, what do you mean? All the girls had a... Oh, uh, I'm t- I think of Mon Kelly, who does that wonderful yeah, number. Yeah, she does Dietrich and all that. Was, yeah. yeah, there were people doing that. Yeah, you know, Karina used to do Bette Davis, oh, you okay. know. And Karen Chant used to do um, oh, uh, Francis Bay and things like that, you know. All those. Are you tired after all those late nights? A, a long career, sort of starting? No, no, because there's no business like show business. Once you get on the stage, you're fine. Well, you know, I guess you're like a shift worker. You have your sleep time yeah. at other parts of the day. I might have a nan and nap in the afternoon and then I think it's time to get in the bath, I have a shower and freshen up and brush your teeth and off you go. So how do you keep it fresh? How do you, how do you remain enthused? I surround myself by fabulous people. Right, yeah. If I've got people giving me energy, I've got the energy. If I've got people giving me a bit of a challenge, I'll go, all right, you bitches, I'll have a go at it, all right? <laughs> There's no, there's no, nothing wrong with failure anyway, you know, so. And you obviously love your job, isn't it? So if you love your job, it's not a chore. No, no, it's, plus with my Polly's Follies, I'm helping people. Yes. So I'm not their mother. I'm not their mother. Yeah. If, um, even down to, if if they've got BO, I say, no, it's an ED, no more BO. Make sure you have a proper shower and some deodorant, you know, even down to cleanliness, you know. Yeah. You know, and I go, oh, that's a bit grubby over there, you know, fix that up. And now I think this number might be good for you. Right. Oh, and then they, or they might come, do you think I can do this number? I said, of course, give it a go. It's not a competition, it's fun. Follies, follies, it's for fun. Yeah. 
Oh, that's fantastic because your image, your persona on stage can be a, a little bit gruff and I'm not taking any shit. Yeah, yeah. But you're obviously... Yeah, it's all... Very back, maternal. Backstage. Backstage, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's go back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? You a Sydney boy? No, I was born in Scotland. Oh, right, okay. And I was an asthmatic. And the doctor said, this kid needs a better climate. So the doctors, funny enough, said, why well, don't take the kid to Australia? Well, my um, grandmother was living in Australia. So we packed up and I grew up in Narrabeen, Ocean Street, Narrabeen. My grandmother lived in Aileen Avenue up on the hill, over the North, north um, Narrabeen Bridge. How gorgeous that your parents moved house and home to mm. the other side of the world. To, to look after you. Are you an only child? No, no, there's no. four of us. Four of us, so you all So my oldest sister and I, we were born in Scotland. My younger brother was born in um, Manly Hospital. My other sister was born in Bankstown Hospital. So was it your uh, maternal grandmother that was living out here? Yeah. Yeah. So what brought her out here? She had, um, during the war, she had a big boarding house. And then when she came out here, she she created, I don't know how, I don't know the whole story. How she I was got too here, young. yeah. yeah. But she ended up having a boarding house out here. And uh, me being an asthmatic growing up in Narrabeen, because we live across the way from the beach, I've never had asthma. Well, they say that swimming is good for us. Never asthma. had asthma. Yes. Because I was swimming, 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 swimming. Building up your lungs. And uh, then we moved from there, and this is a bit of a shock. Uh, my father worked for an electrical company in DY called Ferris. Mum used to work at the Bonds building, Bonds T-shirt building. And, oh, funny enough, my, they did an article on my mother when we were there in New Idea. Right. A working mother. Yeah. And then my father applied for a job for Department of Civil Aviation, which was at Bass Hill. So my parents moved from Narrabeen to Villawood. <laughs> they bought a house in Villawood, so I ended up going to Bass Hill High School. Right. But my um, the Smith family across the road from us, we are still a very strong family, very bond. Yeah. And the funniest thing is, the next door neighbour, Linda, she wanted to go start ball. She wanted to go to ballroom dancing. So she said to me, "Can you come? I want to go to ballroom dancing. There's a dancing studio in Fairfield." So I escorted her to Fairfield Dance Jimmy Ward's dance studio in Fairfield, and uh, I had so much fun. She didn't go back, and I stayed and became South Pacific Australasian ballroom dancing champion. My One of my partners, Marilyn Welsh, she went... My father my, fa, my father got killed in car accident, but anyway. Uh, she went to London. I couldn't afford to go because my father passed away and became the world champion. And my other dancing partner, Dale Thurban... Married Alan Lancaster at a status quo. Wow. Now, that would not have happened. Yes. Now, this is how you, you say about your journey in life. Serendipity, yeah. And we're all still friends. Great. That's fantastic. And that's how I got into the dancing thing. So, showbiz started for as a ballroom dancer. A ballroom dancer, Did yeah. you do school plays or anything like that? Oh, we did it, I think, in uh, the last year of high school. I think we did Hair. Right. Which was one of the first um, stage musicals I went to see. Brilliant. At the Metro Theatre up the with Cross. With Reg Livermore. At the, at the Metro up the Cross, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Harry and Miller. Give me a head with hair. <laughs> <laughs> what were you like at school? Did you enjoy school? Yeah, I am. Um, 
I got my high school certificate and all that carry on. Yeah, yeah. I was, because um, of my height, I was uh, basketball captain. So I, was, I wasn't really getting bullied anywhere. Plus I was a good swimmer, so I was in the swimming pool. And well, that's, that's good to hear. That, uh, and I, I've still got, I've still got um, still friendly with um, a few of my um, schoolmates. Who were the, uh, the big influences in your childhood? Was there a, a special teacher or a neighbour or a relative? No, not really. Nobody that looked out for you? or For school? Yeah. No, no, I just um, went to school because I was doing dance. I was doing my dancing lessons and also I was doing swimming swimming lessons. I used to go to Cabin Matter Swimming Pool. Yeah. God, them daughter used to bash me up <laughs> the swimming pool at Cabin Matter Swimming Pool. She even pushed me up the... 10 metre board or something that came out of pool and um, then uh, who was your swimming coach? Noel Talbot right Noel Talbot Talbot yeah was he uh, did he have any Olympic connections or anything? yeah or? yeah I think he yeah. trained quite a few Olympians right right. and what about your ballroom dancing teacher who was that? Uh, Jimmy Ward right uh, but I had to, and then this is a very camp story uh Philip Logan was one of my dancing teachers and he became my first boyfriend <laughs> when I was 18. Of <laughs> um, course, we had the Gay Games here in 2002. You didn't enter the ballroom competition then or anything? Did you no, that? no, 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 no. no. Uh, you still like to ballroom dance at weddings and... Oh, no, no, no. No? <laughs> I, I should go to one of the competitions one time. Yeah. Um, so ballet came along after that. Did you start doing ballet when you were doing? No, 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 no ballet for me. No, no ballet. I did. Uh, I did quite a few TV things. I did the Marsha Hines special with the ABC. Yeah. And we had to do tap dancing and tap your troubles away and all that carry on there. And um, uh, Danny Larue show. I worked with Danny Larue. Um, oh God, I can't think of who else. Uh, a few of them. Uh, I've gone blank. <laughs> so when uh, did you leave home and, and move to into Sydney? When I was about 18. Right. No, no, about 19. Yeah, I, uh, I had an office job uh, in the city. I worked for the railways. Right. And I moved to Surrey Hills with some friends. And then... What was the scene like around then? Oh. So we're talking 70s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Capricio's was open. Shay Ivy's was open. Shay Ivy's was in Bondi Junction. Enzo's was opposite the Paddington Town Hall. There was the Rex Hotel. So the venues were pretty spread out. There was no mm. golden mile of no. such. And you got a job as behind a bar somewhere, did you? Yeah, yeah well, when I was working in the railway, um, that's when I got the job at Capricio's. Yeah. Did you stay there for long at Capriccio's? Oh, no. Were you at Lay Girls? Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. So. I, no, I was... Well, um, going back... I was working... When I moved into town, I got the job at, when I was about 20 at um, Capriccio's, the barman. Yep. Then it burnt down. Actually, the grog from the when it burnt down... Pay for my was my twenty first birthday grog. <laughs> All the labels were um, um, ruined, but they couldn't sell it. But 
I bought it for my 21st birthday. Then I went back and looked at the shows at Capri shows. And I worked at, um, I was at Capri shows for about three years. And then I went off to do a tour of Disney on Parade around Australia. Is that suit work? You were dressed up as a character or? Oh, I was a, I was Crocodile, I was Pooh Bear, I was, <laughs> I was Mr. Brazil. And then, uh, then I came back and worked at Capri Shows for another couple of years. And then I, uh, I started modelling. Started modelling with Vivian's Model Agency when I was about 26, 27. Yeah. So I, uh, a friend of mine who was into um, making glamorous sequin gowns for people, he was, he was a male dancer at a club called Jewels down in um, Crown Street where Dawn O'Donnell opened, which was supposed to be a casino. Anyway, he saw me working with all these American models and he said, uh, why don't you come to America with me? and get those girls you're working with to put all the sequin dresses in because I've got to do a parade and start up a business in LA. So I went to LA and while I was there, I was away for about six weeks and I went to the New York Studio 54, the Anvil, I ended up in London, something joking. And then I came back to Sydney and my boyfriend said, I don't want you to go back to Caprice shows. Jealousy. Right. And I thought, oh. And then Carlotta said, I'd love you to come and work with me at Lay Girls and do the circus show with me. So then I went off to Lay Girls for about a year and a half. And then after that, I left Lay Girls and I started up a, a company called Mix Company with Cindy Pastel, Ginger Benson and myself and started at the Exchange Hotel. So that ran for a few years. Let's go back to Lay Girls. Carlotta was headlining there, of yes. course. Yeah. Describe, for, for those, I, I got there once, I think, but describe to our listeners who may not have been there, what sort of size was the place and what conditions were you working in backstage? Because I imagine it was pretty cramped. Oh, no, it's like a normal theatre restaurant. You know, it was, tiered, it was a tiered room. Tables and chairs, food set, kitchen, food, proper food, dinner and show. And quite a large stage, back, dressing rooms backstage. How many cast would be in a show? Oh, about eight. And we had rehearsals, we had choreographers, we had dressmakers there. It was full on, but there was a, it was a, a tourist audience. Right. They're all tourists, lining up. Pens nights and yeah, the like. See the boys in dresses. I believe uh, some big names came along in the audience. Yeah, but they, they, um, all the Shirley Bassies and Dusty Springfields and all that, they, they weren't around when I was there. They were the, Carlotta used to do Dusty Springfields here. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <And all that. laughs> so uh, then you show with Cindy and... Yes, and then uh, we used to do the shows at the Exchange Hotel and Patches. And then, um, what happened then? Uh, when did you give birth to Polly? Well, th this is what happened then. I was mixed company. I left it and then another guy, Christopher Bonifant, went into it. 
And then I was just doing modelling and Lee Jennings, I had dinner with Lee Jennings around the Albury Hotel. And it was Christmas time, you don't get much work at Christmas time when you're a model. And I went, oh Lee, you got a, jokingly, have you got a spare job at the Albury Hotel? I said, sure. Are you prepared to pick up glasses? I went, yeah. I said, I need the money. I'm, and I had work coming in. So I started at the Albury Hotel as a glassy, going around picking up glasses. And then I got a job as the barman. And then I got a job as the manager of the cocktail bar. And because of many, many, many years of friendship, because Lee used to come to Capriccio's when he was living in Melbourne before the Albury Hotel. So we, we had a long friendship. And he, uh, he had a place in Palm Springs, where they have tea dances in Palm Springs. So around 1991, he came back from Palm Springs because we were going to Mardi Gras parties in drag and having drag parties at the Albury Hotel for birthday parties and all that. We were having a lot of fun drag days. So he came back with this idea because they tea dances. He said, now, Polly, sister, why don't you and I get dressed up at five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon and have an Albury Hotel tea dance? I went, all right, Laverne, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so we had people, we were trying to do our own makeup. We were, we were terrible. You know, we were just two little girls from Little Rock. We because we were having so much fun, everyone had fun. Yeah. But in our minds, we were tragic. But because we were so tragic, it was fun. So after three weeks, Lee Jennings said, now listen here, sister, you're on your own. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm sick of being a fool. So he turned around and said, now what would you like? He said, it's your show now. What would you like to call it? And I went, oh, just, oh well, Polly's Follies. He went, that's perfect. That's it. So that's how it started. So it started at the Albury. Mm. 1991. Uh, so where did you get the name Polly? Polly started from... When I first came on the scene, my ballroom dancer, I said before, was Philip. Uh, all the gay... Because we're the ballroom dancing scene, we mixed with a lot of gay hairdressers. All right? And a lot of them lived in Darling Point. So... Because I was new on the scene and and I wasn't, the gay thing, I knew about gays, but I didn't know about it. I was a bit shy about it all, you know. So when you went really out? When you, yeah, you know. I was sort of thing out. And um, so I used to go to these parties and the boys would go, is Philip bringing the boyfriend? No one ever called me Craig, you know. Is the boyfriend coming? Well, out came the movie, The Boyfriend with Twiggy. So we all went to the movie, and there was Twiggy called Pollyanna. So instead of being called The Boyfriend, I was being called Pollyanna. Is Pollyanna coming? Which got um, cut down to Polly. And then one night, they had this mad party. They called it the Ladies Auxiliary Meeting. Boys all had dresses and wigs on, but not much makeup on, just dresses and wigs. And we're having a christening for Pollyanna. So they took me, I was in Yarran Abbey Road in Darling Point, sat me in a chair, this great big sponge cake, smashed it over, put me in drag, put me in a silk dress and a wig on my head, and smashed this sponge cake over my head. 
We christen thee Pollyanna. <laughs> and from that day. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Been around with 20 people. Fabulous. So how long has Polly's Follies been running? Continually. 28 years. 28 years. It's extraordinary. So for most of that time, on a Sunday night, you've you've yes. hosted this... Uh... So I went from the Aubrey Hotel. Yeah. I was the last scene manager of the Venus Room, so I took it up there. And I left there and I went... I was bar manager down at the Exchange Hotel. I took it there. And thanks to the wonderful Candy Box, she asked me would I like to come to Stonewall Hotel. And thanks to Candy and all the uh, Stonewall family... I've been there for about the last 15 years, having fun and still having fun. Now, your catchphrase is Ahoya. Yes. Where, where did that come from? Ahoya came from, I think I was about, I think I was 40, and I was having a birthday party in Hawaii, and everyone knows that the Australians go, Oi, ay, oi, ay, oi. In Hawaii, it's, hello, ha, hello, ha. So I went, Ahoya. <laughs> so <laughs> the bar, they were going, Ahoya, ahoya. So it stuck. So it was like 40, 27 years ago. That's that's fantastic. Now we know where Polly and Ahoy are. And it came, it came in handy. When I was in New York, people were going past in taxis and people like Gary Scales screaming out, Ahoy! <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you are, they're Yeah, or I could be anywhere to get Ahoy. I don't know. Someone knows me. How has the strip changed over the years, you know, in all of that time you've been working? Um, there's less venues, are there, do you think? Well, with the closing of the Albury Hotel, which had been open for 21 years, uh, you can't blame the internet. They put in 21 years of, you know... Good, solid service. Yeah, the, and the Albury Hotel had the biggest beer sales in Australia. Wow. Um, the restaurants down there in died because there was no one going down that far. So then, then with the AIDS epidemic coming through, which is, you know, I used to have to go into the hospice sometimes with Nanette and cheer the people up knowing they're not going to be here next week, you know. Nanette, is, I used to cry my heart out, but she'd be strong, come on, you've got to be strong. So with that AIDS epidemic going through, and losing, you know, like right, losing Roseleaf. Roseleaf was a wonderful performer. Legs galore, mad, fabulous. We lost all those entertainers those too. Forms, yeah. And then also, we lost thousands of um, you know, guys in, you know, Sydney. So then the whole place just died slowly. Because, you know, you know like the Flinders Hotel was going straight and you know, the Beresford sort of was straight and the ex- we lost the Exchange Hotel and there was no patches or... Um, Tim Berry kept the shift going, which so it was the shift in Stonewall, really, that kept um, the street alive. I guess uh, the introduction of those apps on phones and things, do you think that... Uh, a big yes, I think influence. it does. Yeah. <laughs> Grinder. Yeah, people no longer went out to meet somebody in yeah. a bar. But another thing too is the rents around here are astronomical. Right. The rents. So a lot of people have moved out of town. So they're all out at you know, Wallow Creek or wherever they are. So to come into town to go to a gay bar, well, I can just get on the gr- Grinder and... Dial in. 
and say this, I'll meet you at the pub down the road, you know, hello, your place, my place. Do you think the younger generation today fully appreciate the past there? And I don't think they know about it. No, they're pretty... pretty I don't think they it. know about yeah. it. They don't know about, you know, coppers harassing, you know. You know, I got... I got put in Dahlia's cop shop for uh, one night because uh, it's a Wednesday night. I went in to pick up my pay and uh, came out and the Oxford Hotel was on fire. I had white shirts on and a blue lyrics tank top on and I'm busy watching the fire and I tripped in the gutter. Copper picked me up for drunk and disorderly. No. Threw me in the cop shop. And it cost two dollars to get out. I was living in Land of Street at the time with these other mates, and I got home. They went, "Ah, oh, you mole, who are you out with last night? Getting home at this?" I said, "I was in the cop shop." They said, "Bullshit." But like, that's how it was. Right. You just fair game for yeah any copper that yeah. wanted to. I was there on my own. He put me through me in the back of the paddle wagon. And. Um, drive around to picking up deros off the street, so I was one of the deros. How do we make the younger generation more aware, more knowledgeable? I mean, I like to think that conversations like this, they will tune in and listen. I, I don't think so, because, look, if you, if you tap some, one of these kids, don't touch me, you know what yes, I mean? Yes, that's all that. Where we got the cane at school. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's growing up in a different world, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But still, I think we need to appreciate what has gone before and, and those people have made well, huge sacrifices. At the opening ceremony in New York, World Pride, Whoopi Goldberg was wonderful. She was absolutely wonderful. She was hasty. And she brought that up, that today's generation should appreciate what has gone on for the last 50 years and the roof nearly lifted off the building. Yeah, yeah. At raw, yeah, they just scream. Yeah. If we're not aware of our history, we're doomed to repeat it, so... Yeah. Yeah. Is drag an expensive business? It can be, or you can be crafty. Right. If you can make your clothes and buy your own fabrics, okay, it's okay. If you have to pay for someone to do it, maybe you're paying for their time. Yeah. Also, sorry, I have an address, but you've got to have accessories. Yes. You've got to have a wig. And you've got to have shoes. Wigs don't come cheap. And you've got to buy makeup. Yeah. Uh, thanks to Chelsea Buns at the house, Priscilla, she gives a lot of us 20% off. And quite often said, here, have a present. Great. So. Oh, that's good. What about your music? Because that's music, I get um, quite lucky. A lot of DJs help me with my music because they're doing the gig with me. I just give that I'll, run, I'll put it on a disc for you or I'll put it on a USB for you. Do you have a few numbers that you do regularly or that are oh, crowd yes. favourites? Where the boys are. <laughs> Downtown. <laughs> Kaysera. <laughs> good fallback numbers. So what makes a good drag performer? I think someone who um, has a bit of self-confidence, uh, is ready to have fun, ready to, and they have to, I think they have to, they have to listen for direction too. 
but also be able to create their own character, their own personality. And then, of course, they're individuals. And uh, I think basically having fun and entertaining. Yeah. Being entertaining. And being spontaneous, I guess. You've got to be good on your feet. I hear you. Improvise. What do you, you, you know, Sunday night is your show night. What's involved with preparation for that? What do you do during the day? What time do you start to get ready? I know, I sort of, I don't really like going out on Saturday nights. On Sunday, I just have my breakfast and have, maybe have a nibble, then have a lie down and watch a bit of footy on TV, then hop in the bath or have a shower and have a shave. And while I'm having my rest, I think, well, what numbers am I going to do today? Or what will I wear? When I'm in the shower or in the bath, I think, all right, I'll get that, I'll do that. And then when I come out, I get the music and get the drag and pick which wig I want to wear and throw over the 20-something kilos in a bag and <laughs> wobble up the stone wall. Do you produce the show and do you, do you get the performers for the night to organise all that? No, no, we just do a running order. Right. There. I suppose you get some repeat performers too. Come back regularly. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Dawn Service and Sarah Topaz, Tanny Ponds. They're all good stables. They're great names. Yeah, and Fifi, Fifi Glamcock has been doing it lately. Right. What's the impact on the body clock like? If it's like a. No, no, I can. I can finish. Can... Sunday, I can finish at 12 o'clock and come, be up at 6 o'clock and do my. Washing day on Monday at six six thirty. Right. Then I might have a nap after. <laughs> yes, we look forward to every Monday and Facebook with the washing day and the weather report, uh, which is brilliant. And I, I guess you need to look after your skin as well, if you, with all that makeup that you're wearing. Ah, oh, yeah, I've got a, a special cleanser. Right. What's uh, What's a show like RuPaul's Drag Race done for the scene? Do you think has it been a good thing or? Oh, well, I met RuPaul when he first came out here many, many, many years ago. And I felt a bit of arrogance then. And uh, I'm not, I watch, I watch, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I don't have to watch RuPaul's show. Right. But sometimes I have watched it and I, I, just, I can just still, still see the arrogance in him and the, yeah. that. And, uh, I, I, but I see, the, I see the entertainment value with these, those kids he's got on his show are established drag queens yes so they're in a competition so the, I enjoy the competition between the drag queens and not so much RuPaul and their creativity yeah, yeah. who were the drag uh, queens that influenced you or mentored you as you were well when I at Caprice shows there was a lady a drag queen called Lorraine Campbell Craig she was about 24 kilos no 24 stone right she was larger than life, the most charismatic person ever. She used to entertain the Beatles in her lounge room before the Beatles were the Beatles. She used to run a, a club in London called the Chelsea, where all the celebrities go. Where she came to Australia and she became the, um, the door picture Capriccio's, larger than life. Dusty Springfield used to be her friend, all that. She was big time in London. Because her name's Lorraine Campbell Craig and my name was Craig, she sort of adopted me. So we, uh, in the end, she made me move in, live with her right. at one time. 
She was a little bit obsessed with me. <laughs> but also, she is the one who said, you make sure you have the best teeth in town. So she's the one who's made me get my teeth done. And because I used to have gold fillings in the front. Right. She'd get rid of those gold fillings, get your teeth done. And then there was Rose Jackson, who was just to, I work with the Caprice shows. She, she was like a socialite in the eastern suburbs. So she mixed with all posh people and she knew a bit, bit about modelling. And then Karen Chance, she became like my adopted mother. She sort of, if I was playing up or something, now listen here, you behave, you behave. So they're like my drag mothers, although I wasn't doing drag, no. but they were like my drag mothers. And then I live with Corinne, and uh, Corinne, used to, she used to do all that. Uh, hair and makeup stuff for the stage shows as well as with Caprice shows and all that so I live with her so she sort of told me a bit told me a bit about styling and she still always worked, she always during the day she worked in a menswear store too so just those people plus like I had a, a tailor Tony Benici doing tuxedos and things for me when I was doing ballroom dancing so I had all those things you know growing up yeah, yeah, all those influences that... Uh... And my parents were very, very, very strict. Because my father being Navy, if I didn't eat my, use my knife and fork properly, or if I didn't do this, I got the back of the knife over my knuckles, and if I didn't finish my meal, I'd, I'd just sit there till I finished it. And... Well, I think you're still big on manners, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's just because that's how I grew up. But it makes for a much more civil society, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, but also, my, my uh, talking about influences, my mother, my whole family were mad. My mother, there's nothing for her to jump up on the dining table and do Frankie and Johnny were lovers. And my auntie, my auntie came to Australia. She had a guitar. She used to play the guitar all the time and sing. When the pubs used to close, our house was party house. We even had a cigarette machine in the kitchen. Really? Great. And it was nothing for nothing to have twenty people around for Sunday breakfast. And finished off the beer or whatever it was from the night before. It's crazy. So what's the best thing about performing for you? Oh, um my the best things about it is um oh I love it, uh, surprises, you know, uh some friends invited me to go to London. They flew me business class. I went to Calworth Park, where John Lennon wrote the song Imagine and hosted a party there. Then we caught buses and trains and under the channel and I was doing madness and hosting on the Orient Express. And then we went off to the penthouse of the Maurice Hotel I've been looking bling bling the Eiffel Tower and all that wonderfulness, and uh, it was just like a, a wonderful present. Yeah, and all I had to do was perform. Brilliant, yeah. Those, those wonderful unseen opportunities that arise from time to time, which uh, can really give you tremendous experiences. And last year, last uh, December, I did another charity thing uh, for the uh, Queensland. Uh, gay community up in Cairns and that was that just involved travel and um, doing numbers and uh, it's another big charity do and we got the biggest numbers there and it's brought up uh, made the um, 
North Queensland um, gay community fabulous. Brilliant. Well, Paul, thanks for chatting to stages today, having us here in your caravan. It's, it's been really <laughs> terrific. And um, I think uh, fantastic for people to hear a bit more about you. Uh, they've probably seen you on stage, but uh, now they can hear what uh, Polly's really like. So uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And everybody can see you what, Sunday nights at Stonewall? Yes, yes. I've got a Ivy League on this week. All right. So start 9 o'clock start? 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock start. And happy hour from six to eight. <laughs> hey, can we hear that catch cry one more time? And everybody, ahoya! You're listening to season two of the Stages podcast. All episodes from this season and last are now available through iTunes, Wooshka, and Spotify. Hear inspiring conversations with a range of folk who engage audiences. Actors, directors, designers, playwrights, producers and drag queens. Everyone has a fascinating story and you'll hear them here on Stages. I'm Peter Ayers and thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. See you next time on Stages. Stages.